Hi friends, I'm Olivia. And I'm Katie. And we are Podcast by Proxy. Welcome. We're live. Literally, as I said record, Frankie was like, (sighs) (laughs) right behind me. (laughs) I hope it's in the recording. Girl knows how to time it well. Yeah. Well, that broad, she got a new bed yesterday. It was an early Christmas present. Oh. Um, early because we have nowhere to store it in the meantime, so she got it. That's fair. If I put it under the bed, the cat sleeps on it, and then the cat just got a new bed, so that's pointless. But she's rocking a new Costco bed. If you know, Beautiful. you know. Yeah. I, I don't know. What? I mean, I, I know Costco. Ask Sandy if she ever buys dog beds at Costco. I'm sure that all of their dog beds came from Costco, yes. Yeah. Their dog has, like, six beds, and I'm sure that they're all from Costco because Costco is a cult, and they are fully in it. And so I'm am I. It. I was there yesterday. I'm in it, too. Uh, my dad the bought samples, me they rule cost- you back in. Yeah, now that the samples are back, everyone's like, ooh, we're back. No, if, you're, if, if you go to Costco, you never left, and that's and just the tea. And they promise the hot dog price is never going up now, so I'm a lifer. Yeah, my dad got me a Costco membership for my 30th birthday. Uh, I'm sure we talked about that, honestly. I had my 30th Costco birthday on this show, and I'm sure we talked about that. But, um, and it was at Costco. And, <laughs> Don't now, you know? and now I now I get it. I never I didn't get it before, and now I do. You know, when you oh. become an adult and you get to like have the big buggy of your own and the card, and you feel like you're part of like an elite group, right? You get it, right? Yeah, yeah. like it just it hits different going to Costco, and you're like, do I want a deep freeze? Do I need a new washing machine? A drone? Like the options are seventeen endless. liters of yogurt. I didn't know I did before today, but I do now. Funny story about Costco, actually. It's getting to that time of the year where... I also have one, too. Everywhere is getting busy, right? Like, we all feel it. We all, like, are going out in public and we're like, oh, yep, the holiday season is upon us because (laughs) there's nowhere to park. Um, I made made Brandon... I'm not going to say I asked him to. I forced him to go to Costco yesterday because he was in the area for work and I needed coffee. I I get the jugs of (laughs) Starbucks iced coffee from Costco. If you know, you you definitely know. If you've seen any like live video or reel that she's done where she's opening her fridge and talking, you can see it in the door. Yeah, it's always stocked. Anyway, he texted me from the parking lot and was like, how many packs of coffee would you need to get through the next entire month so that I do not have to come back here? I was like, probably like 12. You're like, you have a pickup truck with you, right? Yeah, load the back. Like, I need them all. Whatever they've got, just take the stock. Uh, we'll take the oh lot, like a Harry Potter. Anyways. That's hilarious. Um, yeah. Um, I'll tell you a quick anecdote, and then we'll get to this, because these weeks have been really heavy, so these lighthearted stories, I think, are kind of nice to break it up a little bit. But when I was a child, I'm going to say like eight or nine years old, I had a deathly fear of Costco. I wouldn't go there if I, like, could avoid it. I know. I once, I just had this irrational fear of getting lost in there, and I was a very clingy child. I don't think that's irrational. And, but, like, I was holding my bed frame, and my dad was trying to, like, <laughs> oh calm God. me down, and I was just bawling because I did not want to go to Costco. The drama. And it was to the point where, finally, 
one of them stayed home with me, like my dad or my stepmom, and the other one went to Costco. Oh my gosh, Katie, it's not that I won. bad. But like, why? Poor Costco, like, I'm sorry. You were like, a shy, timid child, though, and I feel like Costco is very overwhelming. That's an understatement. Costco's really overwhelming. Like, it's overwhelming for me now. I, I was going to say, Costco's I, I'm gonna go at 32. There. I'm going to yeah. go there, but I'm going to be really anxious in the parking lot. I like when I pull in and I find parking pretty quickly because then I know I'm going to have a great Costco experience. Yeah. But you like you what? said, it I, starts in the parking lot. I wish we had here where I live the Costco gas stations. We don't have those. Uh, it's the same price in Duncan as it is at the Costco gas station, so I don't really care. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, well, um, enough about Costco. Um, yes, we are 30, and actually, we're older than 30 at this point. We are 31 and 32, so we love Costco. Uh, actually, my birthday is two months from today that we're recording. That's fair. So uh, it's a rite of passage, though, when you turn 30 that you are obsessed with Costco. So just let us mm-hmm. have our moment, and uh, and now we're moving on. Yeah. Yeah. So we've, once again, got a lot to cover today. Um Somebody messaged me last week and was like, I laughed when you told us to bring a snack. Bring another one. Just bring more snacks. Yeah, you may want like a protein shake or something. But honestly, you should always have a snack. So, um, But before uh, we actually get into the kind of bulk of our content for today, meat and I potatoes. actually wanted to read, uh, we had one of our listeners um, send us a personal experience from the highway. Um, And I asked her if I could read it out before we record or like while we were recording, just because I think it gives a really good like feeling of what it feels like. Yeah, the tone of what it would be be like to stand there. Yeah. Yes. Be on that highway and that experience. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Also, I've been an emotional wreck lately because I think I'm getting my period tomorrow. So if I just start crying randomly, I'm just like very sensitive to sad stories today. Totally. Okay. We. uh, Okay. I've been crying a lot for, like, yeah. various reasons lately. Like, Same. not even just this week, but I would say, like, just the last six months to a year. Like, Yeah, I would say since the world started to, like, quote-unquote open up again, Yeah, I've cried a lot more than I'm used to. Yeah, and, and you know what's interesting? And is life is good. Yes, life is great. That's and the I'm, weirdest thing. I'm not upset about it when I'm crying I'm like something makes me feel a certain It'll be way like a hallmark moment even and I'm just like overtly sensitive to every emotion I think it's just all my emotions are coming back from being home alone for so long <laughs> it's like this shell is like defrosting and they're all like boom 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 like for, for a while there it was like every single time I would do my cardio on the treadmill I would be like I would laugh because I'd be like oh I wonder what's gonna make me cry on the treadmill today and one of my friends was like oh, oh God, no like I'm person? so sorry and I was like no it's fine it's fine I don't mind crying on the treadmill it's just like, like no, somebody I'm kind of enjoying the cry right I it's cathartic it's like I'm sobbing bad. I'm exercising I'm good like I don't it's not it's fine You're like I'm sleeping better than ever I'm really getting shit out of my system yeah so if you're if you're also feeling emo- comment over- on this episode yeah if you're also feeling overly emotional just know that we're here for you and we feel you and also let us know so that we know that we you're can here all with wallow us too. together <laughs> we can all just cry and have but a again good time. it's not wallowing like again mm-hmm. I watched like have you seen the show dead to like me dead to me that's Christina Applegate yeah I haven't but I 
have obviously like heard about it now with her MS diagnosis and yeah, the yeah. whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Always been a big fan of her, and this yeah, show same. is like the bee's knees. I think it's great. I finished it today, bawled my eyes out when it was over. Yeah, I was actually I was reading a an article just about her MS, mm-hmm. and they were talking about filming the last season and how like people were helping her stand up a lot of the time and stuff, which I just think is incredible and. You can tell, actually, that there's a lot of scenes where she's, like, leaning on railings and, like, you can just tell that also, too, like, she looks different. Like, her body's changing because of it in many ways. Yeah. So it's very interesting. I have always thought she's phenomenal, though, and uh, I was thinking about it, and she's just been in so many good things. Like, Anchorman. I mean, she's phenomenal, so anyway. The Sweetest Thing was, like, one of my favorite movies in, like, middle school, high school with Cameron Diaz and Selma Blair. And I love that movie. It's so good. It's so funny. It's such a girl's movie. So speaking of Cameron Diaz, because she's one of my favorites anyways, but I have been really holding out. So I have Christmas trees up. I'm pretty decorated in here. Um, We're hopefully going to put up like our outside lights this weekend. But I'm quite decorated. You didn't serve. I am quite (laughs) decorated. (laughs) But <laughs> but I've been holding out watching Christmas movies until December 1st because I know once I start, I'm not going to stop. It's like Lay's or Pringles, whatever it is. Once you pop the fun, don't stop. It just... Correct. I am counting down the but... seconds until I can watch the holiday. Count, like, oh, yeah. Oh, it's phenomenal. See, Fred that's love and... actually for me. Like, is I it? need it. Okay, I need the holiday. And there's a special this year because I think it's like the 20 or 25th year of Love Actually. So, like, there's a special where some are coming back together and I can't wait. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, but please watch the Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special on Disney+. Plus. It's just an hour and it's so good. Okay, I will definitely do that. Yeah, I know you will. All right, I'm going to read this now, and then we'll get into today's yes. episode. So this is a note from a listener. Um, she goes by the name B, and she said... First, let me preface this. Highway of Tears has no cell service in places. It's all bush for thousands of acres and miles. Thousands? Okay. I had to drive to Burns Lake to drop off a tractor, and during that trip, I have never felt so creeped out and worried for myself. It started in Prince George. I fueled up with diesel. I was 18 and by myself at a large co-op bulk fuel station. When I left, I noticed a semi-truck with, uh, it says white blends in. I think that might have been a typo, but she just said she didn't see any, like, logos or numbers on it at all. It was just a white semi-truck. It had no trailer, but it left at the same time that she did. Yeah, because normally you look for, like, that four-digit indicator if you were to, like, report the truck or want to, like, report an emergency. I called in a truck. I needed that number. So you kind of automatically look for that or a company name. Yeah, so she said there's none of that. She didn't think anything of it, really, but when she got in her truck and left to start driving down to Burns Lake, she noticed that he followed. And again, normally wouldn't have been bothered, except for she just said she could not shake a feeling of danger. And, like, we all know when you just, like, have a feeling. Trust your gut. Trust your gut. She said, I dropped the tractor, and this is where things got weird. I turned around to go back to Chetwind, and he showed up behind me again. He followed me all the way back to Prince George. The only reason I lost him was that I drove to the RCMP station to make a report. Because nothing 
but because nothing happened, no license plate and no description of what he looked like, they couldn't do anything. I will never forget that experience. And unless it's a life and death situation, I'll never drive that highway again. Yeah, trust your gut. If that's what you felt driving to the police station or a heavily lit and well-populated area, such as like a grocery store is always a good option. But definitely driving straight to a police station. Um, you can even call the non-emergency line and tell them you're doing that. Yeah. And they'll ask an officer to meet you outside in the parking lot to ensure that you feel safe. And like so. 100% you're never overthinking, even if it's nothing. If it, no. your gut says something's off, something's off. And yeah. So I we've just said this that... a few. I was just going to say, we've said this a few times, like when we've had to call emergency services, they always thank you for calling, even if it's not necessary. And they always say you did the right thing. So do not think you are annoying police or emergency services if you think something's wrong. Like 1 million percent trust your gut. Yeah. But um, thank you so much to B for emailing us with that experience of being on the highway. I think, again, it just gave a really good like feeling of the vibe that you feel there and like just the fact that saying like there's no cell service in places and it's all bush um and even i've posted a few photos and like you can see that it's just it's so creepy and um i actually did uh right before we get into the episode i wanted to i found a um article when i was researching because we were talking at the end of last week about the cameras and how i was like they should put some cameras up well, it turns out they did in 2016. How much could it cost to put cameras up? Yeah, well, on. it they but they only put three. Over and this was when it was only the 700 and something kilometers. I say only. No, no. Or is this, this is, when they had elaborated is, to the 1500? And then they're like, "Well, it's okay. We're just gonna." So for every 500 kilometers, we'll put up one camera. Well, there's only this is only on Highway 16, so it would only be the 724 kilometers or whatever. But like only 724 still, like kilometers. That's like over. It's it's a very long. Yeah, like way. just shy of 300 kilometers. There's a camera. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's better than nothing, especially on straight stretches of highway where you can't turn off or turn around. It would still be able to try trace someone going on and off the highway, which is amazing. Yeah. So it looks like it just doesn't seem like enough. It's not enough. It's not. Sorry, it says, so 2016, this is December 2016, the province says four new webcams are up and running, and this is when they added six new bus shelters as well um, to help improve safety for those taking the route. The webcams are meant to increase the safety and visibility of pedestrians and motorists along the road, also known as the Highway of Tears. Um, And this was part of a $5 million plan to improve safety along the 800-kilometer stretch of highway. Um... I would like so, to know what the other balance of this $5 million went to. Well, I'm sure that that's going to be going to, like, cell, the cell towers that they're talking about putting in and all those other things. Um, so that's, I mean, that's good to know that there's a few. I don't know that four cameras along that long of a stretch is uh, necessarily appropriate. Sorry, I'll turn my phone off now. Um. Jeez Louise. <laughs> Anyway, so I just wanted to correct myself because I was like, oh, why can't you just put cameras in? It turns out they did. Um, I, I feel <laughs> well, you like, can. <laughs> I feel like you could expand that a little bit. It still doesn't seem sufficient. But it, it it's good to know that there is now m- money being allocated towards making the highway safer. I think it's, it's a little late, but... Um, I guess better late than never. Better late than never. But that doesn't really work when lives are involved. That's more like... 
oh darn we're out a bit of money because something broke because we weren't thinking not that you know once one person went missing we should have been taking swifter action it's just don't think there needs to be as much of a building a case for stuff when it comes to human lives needing to be the evidence yeah well at least we're there now so it sounds like they are making improvements um but that highway still sounds like it's desolate and needs a lot more work so we are going to jump way back today Uh, we are Mm -hmm. of course staying on the highway of tears but we're going all the way back to 1975 wednesday september wow okay yeah wednesday september 24th 1975 11 year old Catherine mary herbert vanished while walking down the street on her way home Toward the intersection her road was on in Matsqui, B.C. Uh, Matsqui is now amalgamated with Abbotsford, which is kind of in the lower mainland. Yeah, it's a lot of our, like, farmland. Yes. Catherine had been walking home with friends after school, but she she split off from them, like, it, to go in the direction of her own home, and she never made it home. She was described as a typical 11-year-old. She wrote in her diary, went to sleepovers, played with her brothers. Her mother, Sherry Greer, said that she loved to sing. Catherine was last seen half a mile from her house doubling on her friend's bike. When she didn't return home that day, her mother, Sherry, called everyone that she knew, but nobody had seen Catherine after she left her friends that day to walk towards her own home. She was reported missing to Matsqui police that evening. Catherine's body was found almost two months later on November 17, 1975, several kilometers away on Matsqui First Nations property in a remote wooded area under a piece of tossed away plywood. This was like a piece of broken outhouse that had been like thrown away. So like the wall of wood just that was being chucked. Correct. Okay. That's horrendous, but okay. Yeah. One of the first investigators on the case, Norm McFarlane of the Matsqui Police Department, said that when they found Catherine, her body was partially decomposed and that this case haunted him for years. An autopsy revealed that she died of blunt force trauma to her head. She had a skull fracture and a broken jaw. The autopsy was unable to confirm whether she was sexually assaulted or not, but her underwear, shoes, and socks were missing. Okay, so it is probable. It's it's probable. Okay. Officer McFarlane searched the streets where Catherine Mary was last seen, as well as the murder scene, but he was unable to find any clues as to who might have taken her. Her disappearance was circumstantially linked to a white car seen parked on the street between where she was last seen and her destination, like just south of that intersection. Okay. It was reported that a man was sitting alone in the car, but there was just never enough evidence to make it arrest. Okay, that was my next question. I thought they were just saying, like, it was a small town. We just knew that was an unusual car, but there was a man in it. Okay. Yeah, and, like, we'll find out a bit later that they kind of always knew who it was, but they never had enough evidence to do anything about it. Hmm. Okay. This, yeah. This was unfortunately not the first time that Catherine's mother, Sherry, had experienced tragedy. In 1974, her nine-year-old son, Donnie, drowned, and in 1980, her eldest son, Butch, died by suicide after he was unable to cope with the murder of his sister. So sad. Oh, my God. That poor mother. 
Catherine Mary Herbert was never considered an official Highway of Tears victim, but her case is it's important to the telling of this week's story. So we are okay. talking about an official Highway victim this week, and in fact, it's the youngest Highway of Tears victim. But this story is equally as important to the story, like to the telling the of process. the story and the timeline. Okay. So we're kind of giving you a bogo, if you will. Bogo. <laughs> Two and a half years after Catherine was taken and killed, on May 6, 1978, 12-year-old Monica Rose Jack disappeared when she was riding her bike toward her home on the Kilchina Reserve at Nicola Lake, located north of Merritt, B.C., along Highway 5. So this is the part of the highway that runs between Merritt in the south and Kamloops in the north. Okay. Yeah, so Merritt, anyway. Merritt also, for anybody that doesn't know British Columbia well, is is south, like a lot closer to Vancouver mainland area than like where we were last week, you know? I don't even know British and Columbia. And for anyone who well, doesn't apparently. know, I edited out a part where Olivia and I both are just like, do we even know our own province for a second? We just had a brain fart. We don't. Okay, so it was a Saturday. Monica had spent the morning helping her mom bake her little sister Liz's birthday cake. Aww. Right? So cute. Monica was the third youngest child of her parents, Madeline Lanero and her father, Philip Philip Skackham. She was mainly raised by her mother, who is now a retired social worker, and she liked to visit her father's ranch, which he owned nearby and had horses. Okay, sounds lovely. I, too, like horses. Me, too. (laughs) Show horseback riding. We should. Monica was popular amongst friends and family and was liked by all the neighborhood kids. She had dreams of becoming a social worker like her mother, and she wanted to work specifically with kids. Monica was really excited that day because she and her older cousin, Debbie, who was 14 at the time, were going to go for a bike ride into town with her new bike. Um, They were going to go into Merritt to go shopping together, and this was the furthest Monica had ever ridden her bike without her parents. Aww. So it was like a big adventure. I remember when you got to take, like, your new bike or something out for the first time with your friends or go far on it. Oh, my God. It's so exciting. Yeah. First time that she was going to be taking it all the way by herself. So, well, not by herself, but without her mom. So she was very excited. Merritt was about 12 kilometers along Highway 5 from Nicola Lake, where Monica lived with her family. The two girls had each been given some money from their parents, and they were super stoked to go shopping. Monica bought a new pair of shoes that day with money she had been given from her dad, and she also purchased a birthday present for her younger sister, Liz, who had just turned 11. Of course, they were making her cake that morning. Yeah, they were making the cake. On their way back, Monica rode with Debbie back to her house before making the two-kilometer trip alone back to her own home. Her mom and her siblings actually drove past her in their car on the way back to the house and asked if she wanted a ride, but she said no. She wanted to ride the rest of the way home by herself. Monica, unfortunately, never made it home, and her bike was discovered a day later, but Monica nor her remains were with her bike. I was worried you were going to say she never made it home. She did not make it home after seeing her mom that day. Now, the even more so unfortunate part of the story is that Monica wasn't actually reported missing until the next day. 
because her mother Madeline and the other adults in their large extended family had gone out that night for one of they had like this family tradition where they did like fished for trout on Stony Lake and this was like an all-night event um yeah so it was like they went night fishing yeah yeah they would like catch fish by the bucket full and sit around fires and blankets and it was like a big tradition in their family and there's a few kids at the house so like the kids being home alone isn't that crazy if they're well and, and right and the children because this is like they had a pretty big family and it was like the whole like aunts and uncles all went out with the adults so like the, mm-hmm. the kids all stayed together so the, the older kids oh, so the teenagers like all the cousins are there and were yeah. responsible for looking after the younger cousins and siblings totally okay i get it so monica's mom madeline left for this trip before monica would have even arrived home so she didn't even mm-hmm. find out she was missing until the adults returned home in the morning remember there's no cell phones you can't so just they call your home and go okay now where is she yeah it's like it's not like they could just call their yeah. mom and say hey madeline didn't come home you need to come back like there's no phones yeah they're like waiting for her to get home to be like do you know where she could be correct okay so they get home the next morning they find out she's missing they call the cops right away the RCMP bring out boats. They search the lake. Um, ground ser- searches were being conducted by Monica's friends and family. Um, it was actually her family members who found her bike thrown down an embankment at a pullout on the west side of Highway 5 beside Nicola Lake. Monica's remains weren't discovered until 17 years later on June 2nd, 1995, in a remote area off a logging road on Swakum Mountain. Yeah, so they searched. There's, like, these massive searches. I'm assuming at a certain point they get called off. Now, remember, this case is from, like, 1978. It's really difficult to find actual police records of, like, the nitty-gritty that's going on in between here. Yeah, all the little deets. Essentially, um, she wasn't Mm -hmm. discovered until 1995. Forestry workers had come across human remains in a a ravine about 20 kilometers from where Monica's bike was found. Okay. In February 1996, so quite a while after she was found, DNA testing and dental records confirmed that the remains were in fact Monica Jack. Her name was added to the RCMP's Project EPANA investigation in October 2007 as the the highway's youngest victim. Yeah, she's a baby. She is a baby. Area residents had reported seeing a man standing in the area where Monica's bike was found, as well as seeing a green truck with a camper on it parked at the time when Monica was riding by at approximately 8 p.m. Officers actually investigated the possibility that Clifford Olson, a child serial mm-hmm. killer, was responsible for Monica's death. But they did BC. They yeah he he had an alibi on the day of her disappearance. <laughs> they confirmed it. Okay. For, for anybody an who is unfamiliar with that story, Katie covered it quite a while ago on the podcast. I believe it's still in the main feed. So you for a very short while, it's going to be in the <laughs> next group to go for sure. So we did it's going to hit the archive soon, people. Yeah, we did just do a sweep of episodes, but I believe that one made the cut. So you can still listen to Barely. that on the main feed. <laughs> Police announced in 1996 that they had a suspect, but not enough evidence to lay charges. 
familiar. So this is the guy sitting in the car? Well, for Monica's case, this is the guy that was standing in the area where the bike was found. But police announced in 1996 that they had a suspect but not enough evidence to lay charges. Familiar. Bummer. At the time, investigators said the suspect was not a local man and described him as someone who was once married and had lived the life of a drifter. Okay. The case of Catherine Mary Herbert was passed over the desks of the Matsqui and Abbotsford police investigators as well as the RCMP, but an arrest was never made. In 1990, uh, in 1990 sorry, Catherine's body was exhumed and more tests were run, uh, but they provided no answers. In 2012, Catherine's mother, Sherry, offered a $10,000 reward she had received from an anonymous donor for information, any, um, anyone that could provide information that would lead to an arrest. I don't know why that was such a hard sentence to say. It was kind of a lot of little words that all kind of sounded the same. So it was like... <laughs> Essentially, her mom received an anonymous yes. donation, which I think is a beautiful thing. And she offered it yeah. as reward for information for her daughter's murder. Yeah, it's really admirable that people who have the extra means to do so would donate it to such a purpose. Yeah. And I always just think that there's something about an anonymous donation. I don't know what it is. Like, the person's ab- yeah, asking who for absolutely nothing in return, like, not even well, recognition or... They like, might get a hefty tax receipt from t- somewhere, so... <laughs> they expect a tax return from the government, but that's it. Yeah, like, the government knows who they are. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so... With respect to the investigation of Catherine Mary Herbert's murder, like, investigators have acknowledged that there were significant problems with the investigation. Um, For example, like, when her body was exhumed in 1996, it was the first time that they actually tested her clothes for DNA evidence. That clothing had been, like, buried with her and never tested. Well, there wasn't really the means to test it back no. then, so I don't know why they would have. Like, literally right around this time is when testing became available, so. Yeah, yeah. You do sometimes here in cases, though, like this, where the body, like, preserve, the, the, yeah. it's preserved, it's saved, just in case technology advances Yeah, but there has the to be, like, but... one very, like, techie on-the-ball officer who's totally. like, I think this, there needs to be, like, a Paul Holes who's like, I think this is going to come in handy one day. Totally, yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, So, Catherine Mary's murder was turned over to the Provincial Unsolved Homicide Unit in 2005. Her mother, Sherry Greer, has been vocal in her criticism regarding the police's handling of her daughter's case. She said that there's been, like, lost lost police files. Um, She's had to be a fierce advocate for her daughter. She spent 40 years, like, continuously putting pressure on police making phone calls to request information, holding vigils to keep Catherine in, like, the focus of everyone's minds. And it's because of her alone that Catherine's case stayed at the front of investigators' minds all these years, for sure. Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah. Everybody's case needs that person. Yeah. That is the squeaky wheel. Yeah. While she was waiting for her daughter's case to eventually be solved, Sherry also turned her pain into a project that she called the Garden of Tears, which is a retreat for other victims of violence. Every year, people from around the world travel to her home and remember the ones they lost. And uh, in honor of this work, she was awarded the Queen's Diamond Jubilee Medal in 2013. I just think that's beautiful. Yeah, I think it takes a lot of strength to be able to help other people that are grieving. 
when you're grieving yourself and going yeah. through so much and like opening up your own home to just give people like a safe space to grieve well, and, and like and not have that be something that like reopens old wounds like to her it truly is like fulfilling yeah and i think that's like rare that that would be the like the takeaway so now that we know kind of both of the stories of both of the victims, um, investigators believed that a man named Gary Taylor Handlin was responsible for the murder of both Monica Jack and Catherine Herbert, but there had never been enough evidence to lay charges. So they believed that this is the man who was both in the white car and who was standing, standing. near where Monica's bike was tossed. Okay. At the time of Catherine Herbert's death, Gary Taylor Hanlon was allegedly dating a teenager that was living at her family home, so he knew her. I'm sorry, how old was he? Uh, he would have been in his 30s. Okay. Yeah, in his 30s. Because he was, yeah, he was 67 in 2018, so like 40 years later. Okay. Right? Yeah. He was also known to be in Merritt, B.C. at the time of Monica's Jack's disappearance. A detective with the Matsqui Police Department attempted to question Hanlon for 10 hours once, but he refused to answer any questions and would not take a lie detector test. All he did was stare out the window and say nothing. Now, who is Gary Taylor Hanlon? What kind of asshole do we hop out our hands today? Tell me. Yeah, sure am. Gary Taylor Hanlon was described as having traveled extensively through B.C. and Alberta in the 70s. He had a criminal record that included sexual violence dating back to the 60s, including an assault on a 17-year-old girl when he was only 22 years old in 1969. Has he been married? I believe he has been married a few times, yes. So he fits this profile we're looking for. He does. Okay, okay, okay. He was convicted of indecent assault and sentenced to six months for this offense. He had used a knife to coerce the victim. In 1971, Hanlon used a knife again to abduct an 18-year-old female and take her to a secluded area where he sexually assaulted her. He was sentenced to five and a half years for the rape and was on parole for that offense when he was alleged to have committed the murder of Catherine Mary Herbert in 1975. He was then charged with the attempted rape of a 19-year-old woman in June of 1977 and was convicted of that crime in October 78. While awaiting trial for this offense, he was let mm-hmm. out on bail. And mm-hmm. in, bet- in between this time period of when he was let out on bail and when the trial occurred for that offense, this is when he was is thought to have murdered Monica Jack. Are you fucking kidding I am Like, dead you couldn't serious. even keep it together between your court proceedings? Yeah, both times, too. Yeah. Oh, my God. Hanlon was uh, also convicted in 19, September of 1978 of the rape of a 21-year-old female hitchhiker that he picked up near Manning Park. He was sentenced, Park. He was sentenced to 18 years in prison for that offense in 1979 but he managed to get the sentence reduced to 12 years on appeal in 1987 and he was released on mandatory supervision i wonder what the grounds for appeal were 
Not that I really want to look into it or give this guy more time, but, like, I wonder how he swindled that one with the yeah. previous records. I would be interested to see what the grounds were. It had to be a big fuck up. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I could find it. I didn't even, I was too busy reading other No, I get it. Like I said, he doesn't deserve man. more time. No, nah, he really didn't. But, but I just mean with a previous record, it's like that would have to be a big whoopsie. Yeah. On someone's account. At his trial uh, for the rape of the female hitchhiker in 1979, Judge Stuart McMorrin wrote, quote, Your record at 32 is appalling. This is your fourth sexual conviction since 1969. My God. Yeah. After this release, Hanlon spent the majority of his time in Edmonton, Alberta, and Minden, Ontario, and was convicted of three charges of possession of a narcotic, as well as dangerous operation of a motor vehicle and flight from a police officer. Okay. So that's who we're dealing with, and that's kind of the timeline that we're looking at. Um, he was out doing his thing during both of those murders. Just living his best life. I mean, I think that we I'm can all agree nice. that he fits the profile of a dangerous person. Yeah, and a repeat dangerous person who doesn't care. Yeah. And? He's been caught. It didn't scare him out of doing it again. Yeah, and I mean, I guess you could argue that a lot of these offenses, he didn't kill the victim, but the two he girls that he forever. did kill were very young and small and would not have been able to fight back as well as like an 18 19 20 year old woman so, so i he was... either knew that he could potentially lose and they could get away and it could be worse or he just wasn't strong enough to get the job done in his eyes yeah i just think that like you can't compare an 11 and 12 year old victim to somebody who's 18 19 21 years old so no i think it's also just like you said it's a child and it's an adult it's just a different mm. circumstance yeah, it's just like that child wouldn't. Yeah, I think we You're all a grown know ass where, man. I think we all know where I was going with that. Yeah. Good Food is Canada's number one meal kit service that delivers right to your door. Good Food makes cooking fun, easy, and affordable. They offer different meal plans to fit your needs, like vegetarian, clean fifteen, easy prep, and the most popular basket, the classic basket. Every recipe is packed with fresh produce that comes directly from farmers, and with Good Food. You can skip the trip to the grocery store and have everything you need to make your curated meals delivered straight to your door. Sign up for Good Food today using the code FREEPODCASTBYPROXY to get your first classic box for free. That's FREEPODCASTBYPROXY when creating your Good Food account to get a classic box on us. Hi friends, if you like what you hear and you want to get even more content from us, we're officially live on Patreon. Patreon is a subscription service where you can get early access to our regular episodes, get bonus episodes, live Q&A sessions, and more. Visit the link in this episode description to learn more and sign up. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Podcast by Proxy. Katie and I are so appreciative of every single one of you for being here with us. If you want to support us even more, don't forget to hit the follow button wherever you're listening and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Growing the show means we will be able to invest more time into bringing you more stories like the one you're hearing today. After being unable to get enough hard evidence against Hanlon for either of the murders, the police requested an undercover sting operation from the court. So they requested permission to conduct a Mr. Big. Big. Uh, And if you are unfamiliar... Do you have a thing for Mr. Big? (laughs) 
If you are unfamiliar with the Mr. Big Sting operation, we talk about it extensively in the episodes titled Krista and Karen Hart. There's a part one and a part two. Um, But essentially, a Mr. Big operation is exactly what it sounds like. It's an undercover operation. Specifically, how it usually goes with the RCMP is they pose as like a criminal, fictitious organization. They provide a lot of perks uh, for the the person to try and kind of like get them into their club and then they elicit a confession in some way they are legal in canada the confessions are able to be used in court it's not legal in the united states and there's many other countries in the world that it's not i believe there's a couple that it is able to be used canada is one of them Uh, but yeah go listen to that other episode on also not as costco what (laughs) <laughs> the way you explained the Mr. Big operation was pretty much the same way we talked about Costco earlier about it being like an elite club and this and that yeah, and part of much. an operation and yeah except for at Costco you don't have to confess to murder so a little different but you might for some more snacks <laughs> so yeah RCMP officers posed as members of a criminal organization like a gang or a boys club if you will looking to recruit Handlin to do a variety of jobs for them. So during this time, and these are usually like very elaborate, months long. They're building a shitload of rapport. Like this guy thinks he has just... We're not going to tell your biggest secret to just anybody. You got to like... This guy's got to also put you through some shit to realize that, like, he has something on the line or for you to trust that he's a a deal. Except for that one episode that we did where they were like oh, we're just going to approach him on the street and he confessed in, like, an hour. I don't even, like, remember yeah, but who that, that guy, was, I think, just but... was, like, like talking about himself where he was like, guess what, guys? Yeah. Want to hear what I did? Yeah, so th- this wasn't like that. This was very elaborate. This was, like, very months-long operation. During this time, he did legal and illegal jobs such as, like, loan sharking, um, counterfeit credit cards, contraband cigarettes, things like that for them. Okay. So, Overall, like, risky, but not too risky kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, like, kind of like low-level crime, if you if you will, in the gang world. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. He was paid, though, almost $12,000 by the gang overall. Um, and then he was eventually confronted. So, this is when he goes for his, like, cl- the classic hotel room interview. He meets the big boss at the, at the hotel, Um, And in this scenario, he's actually interviewing for a middle management position. So he's interviewing to, like, come on officially um, and didn't know this was being videotaped. I think we all know where this one goes. It's been Um, Fast and the Furious. It is like the Fast and the Furious. Where they meet Braga. Yeah. And they're, like, trying to, like, get in. I don't know. Oh, I meant, like, I feel like this is like the Fast and the Furious where all the stories are the same. They're just a little bit different. Like, that's what this, like, these Mr. Big Sting operations. We did. But, like, they're all exactly the same, but they're just, like, minorly changed, you know? There's, like, a few details that are different, but, like, they meet meet it at a hotel. The guy confesses to murder. It's all the same. Yeah. I don't even understand how these people fall for it anymore. People do crazy things when they think they can get away with something. I know. I just, when I was writing this Stupid. one specifically, I was like, have we, have I not written this before? Like, this is the same song. Have they I don't not even told you people? They don't even change their method. Like, it's wild to me. They haven't um, even changed the name of the operation, and it's clearly have... well known. Correct. 
So at first, the two men, they're just having a chat. The boss congratulates Handlin on having such uh, done such a good job for the organization so far. He tells him, though, that there are a few things about him that concerned him and referred specifically to a murder near Merritt, B.C. Hanlon responded that he had been questioned by police about the murder in the past but knew nothing about it. The officer then says, basically, like, it looks like they're coming for you and tells him that he had heard that there was DNA evidence found on the victim in 1995. Let me guess. He goes, I can't protect you unless you tell me everything. Yeah. Shocker. You got Shock. it. We could do this job by now, I feel like. I'm just kidding. You know where we are, FBI, police departments, whoever needs us. Um, Call us Mrs. Big right here. (laughs) Shut up. Please don't. No, please don't, Uh, actually. Holy shit. Um, Yeah, so he tells him, like, he's been identified as a suspect based on the (laughs) DNA evidence. He, like, hands him some prop items even that he says have his DNA on them, but tells him that, like... It's like a spoon. He's like, careful. We can get rid of this for you. You just have to tell me everything everything. that happened. Uh, Yeah. They basically, their plan is to pin it. They told him that they're going to pin it on like a dying man. Again, we've heard this story before. Yeah. Find someone on their deathbed. Tell them you'll pay their family a ton of money if they're willing to confess for it and die. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Which honestly, not a bad gig if your family's hard up for money. Just get get a new story. Yeah. And so it's at this point that Hanlon confesses to taking Monica from the highway pullout. Uh, He confesses to sexually assaulting her and strangling her. He actually said, quote, I remember picking up a broad one time, having sex, and then I just lost it for some reason. Uh, I think I strangled her. I'm not sure. The officer who is posing as the crime boss then says, she's like 11 or 12 years old, Gary. And he replied, it could be, yeah. Gary then says that he knew that the victim was, he says, native, indigenous. Okay. When pressed for more details, Hanlon says that the incident occurred in the interior someplace and that the victim had been riding her bicycle and turned in off the road, so he had decided to grab her. He then says he threw her bike into the lake, grabbed her, took her in his camper, forced her in the bathroom, and then drove her up the hill. Uh, He said when he was driving her in the truck up the hill, she was still alive, and then he had sex with her before strangling her. He repeated in this videotape confession at least six separate times that he strangled her. Hanlon agreed with the officer when he asked if he then just dumped her and left her there. He also admitted to taking off all her clothes and burning them. When the officer asked what he did with the body, he said, quote, I think I just threw it behind a log. No, I didn't bury it. At the end of the conversation, the officer... I don't get why everything he says is, I think... It's like, no, you know, like you did it. You yeah, it's it's definitely an in- interesting interview. I actually, I do have a video clip of it somewhere that I could play, but it's it's interesting how, yeah, you're right, how he's just kind of like, oh, yeah, I think this is what happened, and I'm pretty sure I was here, and it's, it's, it's weird. Yeah, it's fucking weird. 
At the end of the conversation, the officer adds that he hopes Handlin appreciates what he's doing for him by getting rid of the DNA evidence, and he responds, quote, I'm indebted for life now. That's the way it goes. Yes, I appreciate it more than anything, more than I can even say, end quote. Now, I, I'm curious about your thoughts on his, like, passive tone in this interview and if you think that this could be a false confession. Um, because, of course, that's always a, yeah, it's, a fear and a risk with these types of investigations. They do go through, like, a pretty... The confessions themselves go through um, a process in court to determine their admissibility automatically. They're, they're automatically yeah. presumed not admissible, and the court has to prove that they should be allowed into evidence. Um, but I'm just curious. I mean, I, given the case specifically that we're talking about, I mean, I want to say yes, I do think it is. Yeah. Because I just don't feel like... Like you said, it's pretty passive. It's just like, oh, yeah, this is what I did, and this is what I did, and this is what I did. And it's like, I don't know, is he just saying it to fit in, to do what he needs to do to tell this person that he did it? Mm-hmm. Like, what is he gaining, too, from these people is also mm-hmm. what's worth it to him, right? Yeah. Yeah, and of course, that's, but at the same de- time, that's going to be the defense He the provides defense a argument, lot of right? steps. So that's also right. quite a detailed process. So... I, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of detail there, right? I, I think I can argue myself, like, one way or another. Mm-hmm. So, And that's the difficult thing about these types of operations. Like, a lot of people are super against them and think that they should not be legal because... I just don't think they get authentic information out. Sure, yeah. I mean, you are providing somebody, and a lot of the time the people need those things. Like, those are things that they've been dreaming of their whole life. And, I mean, we'll get into that a little bit. There's a reason why police can't say, we'll give you this or this, or we'll help your family with this, or we'll do this if you give us the information we need. It's not ethical. You don't always get proper information, and you get sometimes embellished or lacking I think yeah. it's just there's too much margin for error when you're doing it for a reason other than just to tell the truth. Yeah, I'm curious. I would like to find this. I'm going to play a little clip of this for everybody to hear. Um, Ooh, okay. I know that we sometimes do that, but I'm going to just pull this up in... There is a... The confession tape is on YouTube, and I'm going to play a little bit of it just to just so everybody can hear, like, kind of the tone This is the officer basically saying, like, what happened? Obviously, something happened. And he's just kind of saying, like, something sure, happened. Yeah, I something don't remember. Happened. I don't remember her. It is really bad, though. It's bad it is, audio. Yeah.
Yeah, just the, even the beginning where he's like, yeah, I picked up a broad, had sex with her. Yeah, so, I mean... It's just like there's long pauses and it's weird and it's... Yeah, it's... I don't it's, know how to feel about it. It's it's weird. It's really... It's, a, it's an interesting uh, interview, but, I mean, also looking at this guy's it. record, um, you know. Anyway, I don't know, but I just wanted to play that and... Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I really don't. I'm with you on this one where I, I mean, it, if I was on the jury, I, I think I would have had a hard time. I could talk it my way in and out of that. I agree. It's just there's no real, I don't have a gut feeling is what I'll say. Yeah, for sure. That's so, the best way to put it. Yeah. So after confessing to the murder of Monica Jack in that interview, um, Hanlon also confessed to undercover officers that he had picked up Catherine Mary Herbert in his car had sex with her, and then strangled her before he uh, says he accidentally drove over her body and then disposed of it on what he called an Indian graveyard. I've never understood how people sometimes say they accidentally run over a body when like they've how? taken the person there. No, like how did I you... understand people... Who, uh, not understand. I understand how it's possible to hit someone who, like, walks out in front of your car and something like that, but I've never understood people who are like, yeah, I don't know, they just, like, fell over and I accidentally ran over them. Yeah. You only had one other person to look out for, and you knew they were there because you brought them. Yeah. And I just want to say, with respect to, like, the discussion we just had regarding the confession tape, like, me saying that I don't know how to feel about that interview isn't me saying that I think that he is innocent or anything. No, I'm not at all. I'm just saying that, like, in the context of how the interview was taken and... Like, it's just a really strange confession. And we know that false confessions happen, especially in a setting like this. And it's just worth bringing up that, like, hey, this one's a little bit odd. Um, I'm not saying that I think he's innocent. And I'm not saying that I think he is any less of a fucking monster. Because regardless, this guy is a terrible human who has done monstrous things to innocent victims. But it's just worth the conversation. That's all. Yeah, we're not questioning if this guy is, like, necessarily kind of a bad person. We're just wondering or, the validity of capable. the information he's providing. Yeah, or I'm not questioning that he is capable of this. I'm just no. saying that, like, the confession is weird. Agreed. I totally get that. Yeah. However, I'm also listening to, like, a couple minutes of it. Like, that full clip that is in the news article is, like, three minutes long, and the whole confession is 90 minutes. So maybe I'm missing something, right? Okay. There's also that. Anyway, and let's like we don't know how people react with grief. We don't yeah. know how people react when put in these stressful situations. So yeah. who knows how he just maybe is like delivering this information awkwardly. Yeah, yeah. I just thought it was worth worth bringing up. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the day after this confession to Catherine Mary Herbert's um, murder, he actually showed investigators physically where he had picked her up, which was the same area that she had been last seen walking by like herself. the pull-off thing? Yeah, and then the location that he said that he killed and left her body also corresponded to the location that she had been found. So. Okay. After this uh, confession interview shenanigans, Charges were laid against Gary Taylor Hanlon for the first-degree murder of both girls on November 28, 2014, where he was arrested without incident approximately 39 and 36 years after their murders. 
My God. He was 67 years old at the time. You know what? That's young enough to still serve some good prison time. It sure is. <laughs> Superintendent Ward Limburner, who was in charge of the special projects unit uh, with the RCMP, told the media that three decades of investigation by multiple police forces combined to pinpoint the same suspect. He also confirmed that Hanlon was brought in uh, to the investigation as a person of interest early on and said that it had taken them that long to gather the evidence needed to satisfy the court to bring him forward on charges. So basically they can they well, thought it was him the entire time. They were struggling to find evidence at like the 17-year mark, I thought, knowing yeah. that it was probably him. So yeah. imagine how stressful that would be for still another tw- like 20 years being like, we know it's him. And just working Like the we just case. can't get that piece to... That would drive you, like, literally I nuts. see why police officers and detectives go, like, batshit one day and just mm-hmm. snap. <laughs> Hanlon appeared in court wearing a red sweatshirt and glasses with closely trimmed gray hair. He agreed when they told him his next court date would be in March, but he did not acknowledge the visitor's gallery that was filled with the loved ones of both girls. I mean, I get it, but rude. Yeah. The RCMP released photographs of what Hanlon looked like during the 70s when he was known to be in BC, Alberta, and much like Bobby Jack Fowler from last week, they asked the public to come forward with tips if the photo jogged any memories of his time in the area. He lived mostly in the lower mainland of BC. Okay. The trial for the murder of Monica Jack began in 2018, and Gary Taylor Hanlon pleaded not guilty. During a pretrial hearing, he also denied committing the murder of Catherine Mary Herbert and said he was actually just familiar with the area and had gotten case information from newspapers and documentaries on the case. Oh, shut the front door, buddy. No, you didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Because both of the confessions were made during a Mr. Big operation, like I said earlier, um, the confessions are automatically deemed uh, presumptively inadmissible by the court is what it's called. So they assume them to be inadmissible and they require the crown to establish on a balance of probabilities that the probative value, so the value of the confessions, outweighs the prejudicial effect that they will have. Mm-hmm. Supreme Court Justice... Which makes me wonder how many are actually done and the confessions aren't used or aren't admissible. Like, I wonder what that percentage would be of these, just because, like, these things, like we've talked about, can cost up to, like, millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. So, in this case, the confession to Monica Jack's homicide was uh, deemed admissible, but they questioned whether Catherine's was because it was made after... Hanlon had already presumably benefited by confessing to a murder. So the judge considered that the fact that he had just confessed to the murder of Monica Jack and essentially been like rewarded for that when they pressed him on the next we are air quoting hard people we that's just because there's no right way to put that term for what the situation is (laughs) but they essentially said that it would make it more likely for him to come up with a false confession to the second one and required the crown to present supporting evidence to assess the reliability of that confession so okay no i that makes sense long story short 
The confession to the murder of Catherine Mary Herbert was deemed inadmissible, meaning the confession would not be able to be used in Monica Jack's trial, and it would also not be able to be used in a trial for her own murder either. Okay, I don't agree with that. Like, I mean, so I mean, I guess I agree with it if they don't have the evidence to support it. Sure, I get that. There's essentially no other evidence in that case at all except for that confession. And I can see their point and they are dangerous operations for that. So they have to use a certain level of discretion. Yeah, I get what they were saying once you explained that it was because they had potentially like either made this up once and gotten away with it or that was true. But the second one might not be that, yes, they could duplicate the information or utilize that to... Essentially what they're saying is like, better plea. there was no, there was no immediate benefit to him confessing to a murder he didn't commit the first time, no. but there was the second time, is essentially what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Because the first time you're a free man. The second time you're using it as a bargaining chip. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, I get it. Ju- the judge's decision to exclude this confession was subject to a publication ban, which means that the jury at trial also did not hear that taped confession. During the trial, which lasted 11 weeks, the videotape of Hanlon confessing to Monica Jack's murder from the Mr. Big Sting was played for the jury, so that full 90-minute video was played for them. Okay. BC Supreme... So at least they got the full picture. They got the full meal deal. Okay. BC Supreme Court Justice Austin Cullen, who was the trial judge, did tell the jury initially about the dangers of false confessions during undercover operations and asked them to keep this in mind when reviewing the tapes. So they have to do that. Good on them, yeah. If judges don't disclose information like that or instruct the jury like that, it's very often that the person will just appeal and win so yeah and once that piece of evidence is removed and they say you can no longer factor that into your decision there may not be enough to withhold charges and a lot of people actually walk mm-hmm. Hanlon's lawyers argued that the police coerced him into making the confession um, so defense attorney Patrick Angley said of course their client was set up with the belief that he would getting be getting his dream of like a new truck and this job and that he would be able to continue to be part of this group of what he called cool a band guys. of brothers he really laid that one on thick okay bud you like may I said boys take club. another look at your bros boys club he beat the, the defense attorney basically said that the police created an entire reality for Hanlon that was a false reality for him. They made him. him a safe space. They made this reality for him and then they threatened to take it away. Yeah. The Crown countered that by saying that uh, Hanlon had no motivation to confess to a crime he didn't commit and, and that he seemed to have felt relief at having unburdened himself from a secret he'd carried for 36 years. Or was the, he relieved that they bought his story? Like, there's always the flip right. side with these deals. Like, ugh. Yeah, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. And, and I'm not that, defending it. I think that yeah. what what is done is actually right. Mm-hmm. But devil's advocate because these are so risky. They are, yeah, for sure. Um, Now, there was also apparently a question of if the remains found were even Monica Jack's. The defense was questioning whether those were even her remains, stating that I guess there was like 
some confusion with the dental records that were used to make the ID, but the Crown presented expert evidence that the skull found in 1995 was hers, so I didn't really understand Also, that's that. a very odd statement, like, the wrong dental... Sorry, the, we, we like, actually sent you the wrong ones. Those are her sister. And, like, questioning whether the victim's even the victim, that's okay. It's so disrespectful. Pulling out all the stops one. there. But yes... so awkward the court did not hear about Hanlon's previous criminal record including sexual violence dating back to the 60s because it could prejudice the jury as we know and prove that he would be capable of committing a crime like this yes wonderful the jury deliberated for two and a half days There was originally 14 jury members. However, two were dropped before the start of deliberations. And I see your face. And that's because two and a half days is actually one of the longer deliberations that we hear. You know why I think, though? That damn videotape. Yeah. I honestly think that that is what kept them for so long. Because, I mean, we hear cases where it's like, oh, the jury deliberated for two and a half hours. Two hours. Right. And, like, and, and often they're, you know, one day. Um, but I honestly think that that videotape probably had them talking. Yeah, maybe. Because, yeah, that caught me off guard big time. Yeah, yeah I saw your face. <laughs> I know. Huh? <laughs> yeah. So I just thought I heard you wrong. Ultimately, though, on January 17th, 2019, Gary Taylor Hanlon was found guilty of the first degree murder of Monica Jack by a jury. Yes. Which is amazing after so long. BC Supreme Court Justice Austin Cullen thanked the jury for their work and set the sentencing date for January 28, 2019. First-degree murder, as we know, carries a mandatory minimum sentence of life in prison with no eligibility of parole for 25 years. Um, But as we also know, the sentencing hearing allows victim impact statements to be read in front of the court. On the day of sentencing, the judge called Hanlon a sexual predator and sentenced him to life, of course, with no possibility of parole for 25, mur- 25 years for the murder of Monica Jack. we can get. We know. Yeah. BC Supreme Court, so the, the judge, uh, Justice Austin Cullen, told the court that Hanlon preyed on the vulnerable and weak to commit barbaric crimes. He said, quote, This particular crime is among the worst of its kind, and you are among the worst of offenders. Your actions were certain to bring an innocent child terror and pain before her life was so savagely ended. During the sentencing hearing, Crown Counsel Mark Sheardown also told the court that due to a lack of presentable evidence, none would be presented in the Catherine Mary Herbert case. Um, And as far as I know, Hanlon has not been found responsible for that murder to this day, and the case was actually dismissed. What? Because of a lack of evidence and the fact that the court will not allow that confession. So. Oh, my God. That was dropped. That's so just, like, unjust to her family and the people that are just, like, looking for answers that. Mm. I 100% agree. Especially because, like, he knew her. Like. Is there yeah. not some form of this evidence just there? The fact abduction. that he was like in her house, knew where she lived, like had a connection to her, like he wasn't a stranger. Anyway, don't get me started. Honestly, on that these one. are the kind of things where you hear like, "Oh, and they were, you know, a friend from my dad's work or our church or our school or whatever." And 
we hung out with him in a barbecues every weekend, and then all of a sudden something really fucked up happens. I, I've Ex- never understood that. Except for this was some creepy guy dating a teenager that lived at her house. Oh well, yeah, that was just. <laughs> um. So, as well with this sentence, Gary Taylor Hanlon will actually be able to take advantage of the faint hope clause and apply for parole at the 15 year mark because the offense was. Which is when. When? The offense was committed in the 70s, so prior to the law being changed. So he will be technically eligible to apply for parole with that clause. Uh, gosh. In 2034. That so, is not that far. Like, yeah. Not that Less far. than 10 years, people. Oh, my God. That is, like... Terrifying actually very scary because yes this man is a fucking monster even if he did or did not do everything as exactly as it said in these confessions or whatnot this man is a monster yeah 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 monica jack's brother glenn jack who was a residential school survivor spoke at the sentencing hearing and said he had already suffered the trauma of beatings in residential school before dealing with the loss of his sister whose bike he found the day after she was last seen riding it. Glenn also had actually become a suspect early on in Monica's disappearance, and the police questioned him while he was in jail for some break and enters, causing him to feel super alienated by his family and just the entire family a lot of pain. Monica's yeah. sisters, including her sister Liz, who, of course, we know it was her birthday. Yeah also spoke at the sentencing and said, uh, Liz specifically said that she felt satisfied justice had finally been done because Hanlon had been handed a life sentence and her family could get to basically working on getting on with their lives now. Her cousin Debbie John, who she went riding bikes with that day, told the court that she has carried a huge weight of guilt about Monica's murder because she had been the one to suggest that they ride their bikes into town that day. And, of course, you know, Monica left her at her house and all that stuff. So I can imagine that that probably weighed on her throughout her life. Yeah. She was so young. I mean, 14 is just such a tough age as it is. Well, that's such an age where you're trying to be a grown-up and you're yeah. not. So then yeah. to do something that would yeah. feel like you maybe failed as a uh-huh. responsibility would be, I think, really devastating. And, like, for your younger cousin, like, I don't know. I just, well, I, like tot- I totally about, get that. Well, like you were saying about, what was it, her brother? Mm-hmm. It's like once you're looked at as a suspect, it's like people always just think you're capable of it, even if you didn't do it. So it's like mm-hmm. I totally get how that yeah. happened to him, too. Like this poor family in general, because like this is just so much. Yeah. Well, and so since Monica's disappearance, the other children in her extended family were no longer allowed to ride their bikes on the highway. They were super closely guarded from their parents. That was also the last year that the adults in their family went out as a large group for their traditional trout fishing. They now always leave behind well, some of the adults. Leave? How could you leave? A hundred percent. Like you would just never trust yourself or forgive yourself again if anything ever was to happen. Yep. Uh, her other family, her other family members as well, spoke saying that they had hoped Monica would be found, but decades without knowing what happened to her took an emotional toll on their family. Yeah. Uh, one of Hanlon's former victims also spoke at the sentencing hearing. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it was Hanlon's hitchhiking victim, and she said, quote, I spent 20 years using drugs and alcohol to find a way to cope with what he had done to her. She also said that although the justice system worked to convict Hanlon of Monica Jack's murder this time, she believes that the murder never should have happened, uh, saying, quote, he was on bail when he killed Monica. He has a history of sexual assault. Why was he let out on bail with a history like this? Oh, I think we, like we haven't heard this before and we, we all, agree with you. I think we all feel the same, sister. Thank you for saying it. Um, so, yeah, True that was... Story. That was that, and then uh, just one final note. Two months after he was found guilty and sentenced to life, he, of course, appeals his conviction. I mean, I think we all saw that one coming. Hanlon and his defense team claimed that the trial judge erred in admitting his videotaped confession of the murder of Monica from the Mr. Sting operation, and then also said that the trial judge erred in admitting certain witnesses to testify who I guess had been hypnotized. So... There was like four statements from witnesses that described what they had heard or sorry, what they had seen in like that white car situation, like in connection to the okay. abduction of Monica at the pullout, like that eyewitness testimony. Like where he pulled up, scooped her and took off kind of thing? Yes. So okay. each, uh, and like the, that they had just like seen him in the white car there kind of thing. Yeah. Like um, they had some interaction and she was no longer there when he pulled away is essentially what they're saying. Yeah, so after those witnesses' first original statement to police in an attempt to, like, enhance their memories and give them more details, they they underwent hypnosis. Yeah. And so they were saying that those testimonies were also, should have been inadmissible because they were hypnotized by police. Which? They said the story before they were hypnotized, though. They just, like, thought of more details after. I don't know. So... Yeah, and the, it wasn't like they put them under hypnosis and they remembered, like, recovered memories. Correct. The Correct. information was the same beforehand. Mm-hmm. So I think that would just feel, like, more solidified that their subconscious mind had the same information. Yeah. So, yeah, he, he appealed for these reasons. However, just about mm, two months ago, September 2022... A three-judge appeal court panel struck down his appeal in a unanimous decision. All three judges, uh, who were Justice Elizabeth Bennett and Justices Robert Bowman and Bruce Buttle, all found that the trial judge was justified in allowing the tape confession and the evidence from the four witnesses to be heard in court. Um, So he will be in jail for the foreseeable future. Hopefully they do not allow him out at the 15-year mark. And I just think I don't that think we're done. they will, yeah, personally. Yeah. But we've seen stupider decisions from our justice system. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're alleging that he's been let out twice before on bail and that you believe he committed these two murders in those two times yeah, his track that record's he was not let looking out, great. Well, yeah, and it, yeah, it's not like he has a clean record prior to that. So, I mean, I think that there is absolutely a risk of reoffending. Um, I think his risk to society is higher, is high. He's coming out of prison with very few life skills, no job, no resources, and very little family. Mm-hmm. At an elderly age where his likeliness to reoffend is just high, I think. So, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, that is episode three of The Highway of Tears. That is the murder of Monica Jack. 
and Catherine Mary Herbert, who was not an official highway a victim, but I just felt like it would be doing an injustice to her to not mm-hmm. tell her story today as well, especially since I feel like there's already been some injustice done for her. So, um, Without a doubt. Yeah, that, that's all I've got for you today. But thank you so much to everybody who's been so supportive of these episodes. Yeah, and like you were saying earlier, um, <laughs> episodes are moving to the archive. So mm-hmm. act fast if you want to catch up on some older episodes. But, I mean, be nice. We were still kind of new at this. So yeah, bear and with if us. If you are new but- and you're wanting to, if you're all caught up and you want more episodes and you're willing to kind of stick through the uh the beginning times we have those all they're archived but they're available on patreon so we still have three tiers on patreon um i believe the first tier is two dollars the second tier is five dollars and the third tier is ten dollars i think it's two dollars i saw on there i don't know if they are the worst at promoting our own shit but you know what head on over and check it out and see who's right or wrong here (laughs) probably both of us no just cut this out no um but yeah we are really working on being more active on our patreon so we're archiving some of our older episodes they're all available there um you can also get every new release episode early and ad free in the the most basic tier Um, Archived episodes are only in the second tier and up, and bonus episodes are only in the third tier and up. So if you do sign up for Patreon, just remember to check what tier you're signing up for and what the perks that you get with those, because if you sign up for, like, the first level tier and you're hoping to get bonus episodes, you're not going to see them. Um, You will still have access to any um, bonus content that was in our regular feed that's archived, though. Yes. So you'll still get those bonus episodes, but yeah, you just won't get the additional yeah episode so yeah patreon.com slash podcast by proxy if you want any extras like that um and let us know what you want to see on there yeah that too we're always looking for episode suggestions especially for bonus episodes for patreon i gotta try and make those like different than our regular feed but it's like it's hard to think of how to do that so if you have any suggestions uh let us know you can email us podcast by proxy at gmail.com people are often saying they don't ever know how to get a hold of us so email is the best way to do that it will get the least missed um yeah. instagram dms are like okay but they kind of get lost in the shuffle because we get so many so email is definitely the best way that will like actually see your communication to us and i usually try and respond um but yeah there's a lot going on we are almost at our two years i feel like this this year has been like it's it's been hard I think this year has been hard but we both are kind of going into year three with a lot of momentum it feels and I really feel like year three of podcast by proxy is going to be the best one yet uh yeah yeah we're here for the long haul guys next year we're truly not going anywhere you're stuck with us for life so I can't wait for all the podcast festivals next year having been to CrimeCon I feel like I got the bug I want to go again yeah whether we're guests, exhibitors, or just like spectators, whatever, yeah. I want to go. I got it. Yeah. So but yeah, thanks so much to everyone for all the support lately. Uh, it's been huge, and uh, we, we feel love. the love. We just love ya. Just love ya. Okay. Bye. Thanks. Bye. I'll call you soon. Okay. <gasps> okay. Bye. 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 How do I stop this shit? I'll stop it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fuck <laughs> me.